as the children are being dismissed, let me remind you as members to uh, thank two groups of people anytime you can. The first one are all those who faithfully teach your children. We make sure that our kids are taught the gospel very clearly, and they know the word of God. And then the second group, um, we have a tremendous core of musicians to lead us in worship, and I am so thankful for them uh, that there's there's nothing better than great music worship, and there's nothing worse than terrible music worship. So we are very, very blessed. Well, turn with me to John chapter 10, and we will be looking at the first 10 verses. John chapter 10, the first 10 verses. Now, last Sunday, I introduced the whole text of John 10 and 11. And I pointed out that the sub-theme that's found in these two chapters happens to be the voice of Christ himself. And I think we should clarify that every word of Scripture can be characterized as the voice of Christ himself. But these two chapters really give special attention to hearing his voice. And because so many church attenders and those claiming to be Christians flock so quickly, so easily to quick spirituality when someone else wants to just give you a a fast version of what supposedly God wants you to know because of this tendency for us to jump into deception jump into error we're using this series in John 10 and 11 to really take a, a an open and public stand against the spiritual poison which is found in Sarah Young's book Jesus Calling as well as her 2016 bestseller Jesus Always Now, I mentioned last time that although Jesus Calling has been out for about 14 years now, the sales continue to climb at record-breaking levels. Now, I I spent a significant amount of time last week really making the case that these writings are ostentatious, they're arrogant, and in many cases, they're heretical. Uh, She presents Jesus as speaking to the reader in first person, but this is a Jesus who is extremely feminized, as we talked about, and as Tim Challies so brilliantly states, quote, sounds suspiciously like a 21st century Western middle-aged woman, which is precisely what Sarah Young is, but not Jesus. Now, if you haven't heard last week's message, I can't take the time to repeat the whole hour that we took to really dismantle the deceptive myth of Jesus' calling. So the rest of this series, if you want it to make sense, I would recommend you go back and pick that message up. But in light of the disturbing and and really massive influence that Jesus Calling has had, we're going to do this series in John 10 and 11, and we're calling it The Real Jesus Calling, Hearing the Actual Voice of Christ. Because what the book Jesus Calling has done is to pull people away from the Scriptures, and particularly from the Jesus of Scripture, in favor of having them believe a a Jesus who apparently only has one purpose in all of the universe, and that is to help you make it through a bad day. That's his whole purpose. And so today, to hear the actual voice of Christ, I'd like to have us hear what I'm calling the voice of the only way. The voice of the only way. Every message we do will be the voice of Christ in some form. And today is the voice of the only way. And then our text today, Jesus is going to present himself as the only hope of salvation. He'll even present those in need of salvation metaphorically as completely helpless. And so he pictures them as sheep. Now, the obvious conclusion that we'll see from these 10 verses will be that Jesus has all of the power and the sheep have none of the power and the sheep are completely dependent on 
him with no ability, no capacity, no potency to do anything in regards to our own salvation. And so our victory, our victorious setting in Christ is just that. It's victory over sin. It's victory over death, victory over the consequences of sin. And our victory is completely in Christ. Now, the Jesus of Jesus' calling apparently disagrees with himself in John chapter 10. For the January 5th reading, Sarah Young, posing as Jesus, states, quote, You can achieve the victorious life through living in deep dependence on me. Well, let's dismantle that. In the English Standard Version, there's two versions of the same Greek word for victory. They're used five times. Three of these five in the New Testament are in 1 Corinthians 15, which says three times that that we as Christians will have victory over death all because of Christ. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says that God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the closest time ever that any of those five occurrences come to including us is in 1 John 5, verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Oh, so we can achieve victory. Sarah Young was right. Wrong. The first half of verse of chapter 5, verse 4, tells us where the victory actually comes from. For everyone who has born of God overcomes the world. Oh, the victory comes from God. God went first, and according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the very faith that I had to believe on him came from God in the first place. It was a gift. Sarah Young's definition of a victorious life is to have some undefinable feeling of victory, whatever that is, feeling Jesus around you, and you can achieve this if you work hard enough at it. Quite honestly, the Bible's definition of a victorious life has a lot more to do with having a victorious death. That's what the victorious life is. A victorious life is not something I achieve. Victory was attained by Christ on my behalf. It is past tense. The victory of Sarah Young is future tense if you work hard enough at it. As a matter of fact, that subtle statement by Sarah Young is nothing more than a well-disguised New Age doctrine as I talked about extensively last week. In fact, one Christian woman who was raised in a blatantly New Age home where she was raised to stay open to spiritual revelation, find truth inside of herself, visit witches, see fortune tellers, and communicate with the dead, she wrote in an article about her experience when she picked up the book Jesus Calling. And she said, you know, it's been out for 10 years by now. It must be good. It's selling like crazy. It must be right. But she said she couldn't even finish it because it was so new age. She grew up in this. And here's what she says. Quote, I'm on day 10 and I just can't bring myself to read anymore. I, period, just, period, can't, period. I tried to get past how Sarah Young speaks as if she is the actual voice of the Lord. I tried to dismiss the new age nuances and buzzwords, but the thought kept flooding my mind that this isn't the Jesus of the Bible, not my Jesus. I don't know about you, but that makes me eager to hear the actual voice of Christ. When I'm tasting something that's bad, I want real food. The real Jesus calling, the voice of the only way. And here it is. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And we'll go through verse 10 this morning. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, this is the first half of the last part of the sermon that Jesus began in John chapter 9. And this section will end in verse 21. There is some disagreement among scholars as to whether or not Jesus is beginning a whole new sermon on a different day in John 10 verse 1. But it has to be a continuation. He's, he says this strong statement, Amen, Amen. We translate it in, in uh, English to truly, truly. He uses that 25 times in John's gospel. And not once does he ever begin a message with this. His truly, truly, Amen, Amen always comes in the middle of a message. He's given background information. And this is his way of saying, listen up. This is the point. And so we know for a fact that he's simply continuing what he began in chapter 9. And now Jesus uses this very familiar language. Every single one of his listeners was intimately familiar with sheep and with shepherding. It was a central feature of their whole economic system. Now, many might say that these verses I just read present to us a lesson on the leading of Christ in the midst of difficult times that you trust the Lord, your shepherd, and you hear his voice as you walk through your life. That is true, but not from this text. That's not what this is talking about. It's a classic example of taking the wrong application from the wrong text. We're not going to make Jesus all about getting me through a bad day. This is bigger in scope. This is about getting you away from a bad eternity, much, much bigger than just a bad day. And now this, this setting here that Jesus has put before us, it it really isn't exactly a parable like we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It doesn't seem to fit that mold. It's like a parable, but, but the parable has a drama. It has a flow to it. This is more just a scene. This is more just a, a living scene that we get to look at. And the scene focuses around some main characters. And so what we're going to do this morning is just walk through the scene. Some of it takes place in the middle of the night. Some of it takes place in the daytime. And let's just identify these characters as given by the voice of the only way, by Jesus Christ. So our first character is the sheepfold. The sheepfold. In verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. This is the 15th Amen, Amen, truly, truly statement in John's Gospel. He always says this in the middle of a sermon as if to say, this is what I'm driving at. This is the point you need to hear. Now, a sheepfold is a sheep pen. It could be the 
courtyard of a shepherd's house, or it could be a common sheep pen that's rented out by multiple shepherds. In this case, Jesus is speaking of a common sheep pen, a large independently owned sheep fold or sheep pen that had a a hired gatekeeper, an under shepherd that all the shepherds would pitch in to help help, uh, pay his salary. The shepherds would graze their flocks in the surrounding hills and meadows during the day. And then at night, they would lead them as a community to the sheepfold. And so all these different shepherds who own different flocks would all come to this giant sheepfold. And they're huge. They're very big. The large sheepfold, it wasn't like a corral that you might picture with the little fences that you can kind of climb through. It was typically made of stone walls. So there was a, a tall stone wall. And it might even be connected to the house or to the the tent of the hired under shepherd or gatekeeper. And multiple families would keep their sheep in the sheepfold at night. And this stone wall would have a a sturdy door, sometimes it's called a gate, but it's really, it is a door. It is a thick wooden door. That was the only way in and it was the only way out. So the proper way to enter the sheep pen, the sheepfold is by the gate. And the door or the gate could be locked from the inside, and then it would be guarded by the gatekeeper. So why do we call the sheepfold one of the characters in this scene that Jesus is setting? Because the sheepfold isn't just the background. The sheepfold is the battleground. It is the battleground for the souls of the lost. As a matter of fact, we already saw in verse 1 that some want to break in and harm the sheepfold. They want to harm the sheep that are in there the thieves and the robbers who have climbed the stone wall because they can't get in through the door. Now, some have said that the sheepfold represents the church. However, no one gets into the church by breaking in. The church is made up of regenerate, born-again people. You might show up to a church building as a a, a non-regenerate person. That doesn't mean you broke into the church. It just means you broke into a church building. But you can't break into the church. Others have said that the sheepfold is heaven itself. If breaking into the church is hard, I would imagine that breaking into heaven is impossible. That only leaves us with one possibility. In the context of the audience to whom Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to the leaders of Israel who have just rejected the man that Jesus healed who was born blind. The sheep pen can only be Israel itself. Judaism, which would include both the few true believers in God and then the misled false believers who have taken to the legalistically deformed version of biblical Judaism. And so as we already read, everyone wants to get to the sheep pen and have influence over the sheep. I think we'll just switch over to this one here. So what is the sheepfold? The sheepfold then is simply... Israel itself, and and just in a general sense. Well, who's in the sheepfold? Well, what we need to define now is our second character, and that is the sheep. The sheep. The sheep here require constant care. They require leading and rescue and cleaning. Uh, Sheep are not wild animals. In fact, they will die without a shepherd. And Jesus now depicts wicked men as trying to harm the sheep. Now, if we look carefully and closely, there's actually three categories of sheep here in this picture. The first is just the whole group. They're sometimes just referred to as the sheep, which can refer to all the sheep in the sheep pen. But then there's a second category. The sheep in verse 3 become a particular shepherd's own sheep. 
And so you have all of them. Then you have one shepherd's sheep. And then the third category, by default, means that there must be sheep who do not belong to that particular shepherd. So we have those three categories. And just to complicate it for the next time, look with me at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. By the way, you're going to really like that category because if you go home and look in the mirror, you'll see the fourth category of sheep. So who are these sheep? Here in the first 10 verses, if the sheepfold is Israel, Judaism, then the sheep are the individual people of Israel over whom now there is a battle being waged. And this picture of Israel and her people as a flock, this won't be surprising to anybody listening to Jesus talk. Israel is depicted as the flock of God all over the Old Testament. This is a very familiar metaphor to them. And so you have this this quaint scene really from a child's picture book of this rustic sheep pen with sheep inside it. But if the sheep are inside the sheep pen, then it's nighttime. And in the night, when the gatekeeper doesn't see coming stealthily into the sheepfold are those who would damage and destroy and bring danger. And that's our third character. The third character comes in the darkness. This is the thief and the robber. The thief and the robber. Verse 1 says that the man who is both a thief and robber, he finds a, a dark, unnoticeable part of the wall, perhaps mostly shadowed by the moonlight, and he climbs over. He is both a thief, that's one who would steal, and he's a robber. That's one who does violence, who is violent and aggressive. This man doesn't want to just take away the sheep. What does he want to do? Verse 10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Potential sheep are stolen not for some sort of good that can be done to them, but to be spiritually destroyed. By the way, in John's gospel, the idea of being destroyed or being lost or to perish is always the opposite of eternal life. It's the opposite of eternal life. If if it is to lose for all eternity the blessing of God, to be destroyed, it is the opposite of receiving the blessing of God to have life. John three sixteen, very familiar to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish, that is to not have eternal life, but have eternal life. John six thirty nine. this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So this thief and the robber, the one who would deceive the sheep and destroy their souls, they... They existed in Jesus' day. In fact, these are the ones that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the thieves and to the robbers. They're the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes whom Jesus called whitewashed tombs, sons of the devil. In fact, he described exactly what they do. Instead of leading people toward genuine repentant faith in the one true God, Matthew 23, 15, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's what they do. They steal and kill and destroy. And in fact, these thieves and robbers are the strangers of verse 5. A stranger they will not follow. It's the same person. They attempted to deceive the sheep, and by default, by the way, those who listen to the thieves and robbers are not Christ's sheep. 
These are the ones that the Apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How has Satan deceived people into rejecting God? He's always deceived them with false shepherds, false teachers, deceivers. And that makes sense to us. Since 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel, literally a messenger, a preacher of light. And these false shepherds, the thieves, the robbers, the strangers... They hate the true sheep of God. They hate the true sheep. And it's so key for us that this is placed here in John, right where it is. The leaders to whom Jesus is speaking, they had just belittled, they had just expelled from synagogue fellowship the man born blind whom Jesus had healed. Why? Because he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the false shepherds hate true sheep. Now, what are these thieves and robbers, what are they trying to do? How are they trying to fool the sheep? By acting like shepherds, by attempting to mimic true shepherds, and in particular, to mimic the one true shepherd, Jesus Christ. And Jesus now, with his words, he's putting them on trial, and he's pronouncing them guilty again. Now, you might ask, why do you say he's pronouncing them guilty again? Because this is not the first time he has pronounced this verdict. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. So who are all who came before Jesus? Well, this is referring to the false shepherds of Israel in the past. So all can't mean every single shepherd and leader of Israel in the past. Jesus certainly had many legitimate predecessors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, John the Baptist, and so forth. God has continually had true sheep because he's always had true shepherds. Not always very many, but he always has had them. Now, what what is Jesus doing here? He's using a figure of speech called a synecdoche. And that means that you can take a part to represent the whole or the whole to represent the part. For example, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's the whole representing those in the world who would receive Christ as Savior. And so Jesus is using this figure of speech Who is he referring to? Well, he's referring to those that the Pharisees would know. They knew the word of God. They knew exactly what he's referring to. They could almost quote chapter and verse what he's actually saying. Jesus is referring to the unfaithful shepherds of the past that are identified by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and particularly Ezekiel. And in fact, I want to take some time to show you these false shepherds. Turn with me to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, if it's been a while since you've been there, it's right after Jeremiah and Lamentations and just before Daniel. I cheated and had a bookmark in my Bible. Ezekiel 34 is the indictment of God against all the kings, all the priests, all the spiritual leaders who had led Israel astray into spiritual destruction and into spiritual darkness. And now God is going to prosecute them with pinpoint detail, with precision, Ezekiel 34, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, 
Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? God asks the rhetorical question, isn't the job of the shepherd to feed the sheep? I, I, I get to do some training where I get to train other pastors and I get to be with them. And sometimes young pastors will say, what would you say is the job description of the pastor? That's easy. Feed the sheep. That's not difficult. Open the word and give it to them. But what are they doing? Instead of feeding the sheep, the false shepherds are fleecing the sheep. Verses 3 and 4. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. The sheep of Israel are being used and abused. The spiritual power that's over them is being lorded over them. And instead of strengthening the sheep, instead of making them better, instead of drawing them closer to Yahweh, to the God that they serve, they're weakening the sheep. They're deceiving them. They probably have a book on their shelf called Yahweh Calling, and it gets them away from the true God. And what's the result? God doesn't have a choice. He's a righteous, holy God, and he promised to discipline the nation that would disobey him. And so God's discipline has to come to the nation. In verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains, and on every high hill my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. When you have, in our context, an unhealthy church, who do you always blame? You always blame the shepherds because a healthy church starts with healthy shepherds that are preaching the word and feeding the word. That's where it always starts. So what's God going to do about this? What's he going to do? In verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. Notice who owns all of them. But the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Did you see that promise? I will rescue my sheep. How is he going to do that precisely? How is he going to get them out of the mouth of the wicked shepherds? Well, in verses 11 through 16, God promises restoration as a nation after he had scattered them. And then in verses 17 through 22, God will judge the flock. And he says, see, if this sounds familiar, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. In fact, this is what Jesus said he will do on God's behalf. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 32, before him, that is Christ, will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep, true Jews who have faith in Christ on his right and goats, false Jews on his left. Now, wait a minute, Steve. Why are we suddenly talking about Jesus in Ezekiel? Because the real question here is not so much how precisely God is going to rescue his sheep from the mouths of the wolves, the mouths of the false shepherds. The real question is, by whom 
is God going to rescue his sheep? And the answer is a King David-like servant to be the true, actual, only shepherd of Israel. Look with me at verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And now this messianic king is going to set up a kingdom made up of the true sheep of Israel. But to set up his kingdom in the future, made up of the true sheep, first he has to gather his sheep in the present. And that leads us back to John chapter 10. It brings us to the main character of John 10, 1 through 10. We've seen the sheep fold. We've seen the sheep. We've seen the thief and the robber. Now, the main character is the shepherd. The shepherd comes in in verse 2. But he who enters, that is the sheepfold, he who enters the sheepfold by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus, the shepherd, enters by the door of the sheepfold. He's not like the thief and the robber that must sneak in. He's the only one who has the right to enter the door to bring out his sheep. He inherently alone has the right to enter into Israel, to enter into Judaism. He alone is the Davidic king of Ezekiel 34. He alone is the shepherd of God's people from Psalm 23. He alone is the fulfillment of over 300 prophecies of Messiah in the Old Testament. And he alone has proven himself to be the chosen shepherd of God's people by virtue of his preaching and by his miracles, which have all shown him without a shadow of a doubt to be the only true shepherd. He is the one predicted in Micah 5 verse 4 that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He is the one predicted two verses earlier in Micah 5 verse 2 to be the ruler of Israel who will be born in Bethlehem. Later on, the apostle Peter would affirm in 1 Peter 2 25, he would say, for you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In 1 Peter 5, verse 4, Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd. And the writer of Hebrews, he, he comes to this climactic end of this incredible letter. He affirms that Jesus rose from the dead and gives him the title, quote, the great shepherd of the sheep. And in fact, in heaven, Revelation 7, verse 17, describes what Jesus in heaven would do for those who would believe on him and die for his sake in the coming great tribulation that Jesus, quote, will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water that he shepherds them all the way home. Jesus and Jesus alone is fully qualified to be the shepherd who enters the door of the sheepfold of Israel. Verse three, we see this. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, the gatekeeper here is the under-shepherd, the hired hand. There isn't really a consensus about who he represents. He's just more like a supporting part of the, the story here. He doesn't really have a, a significance. But the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd, and he calls them by name, and he, he leads them out. And now, here, the sheep become another synecdoche where the whole represents a part. The sheep are now speaking only of the true sheep. The true sheep. It's interesting that the ancient Near East shepherds, and they still do this today, they would use a unique call 
that only the, the flock of that shepherd would recognize. They often had nicknames for every sheep in their small flock. They, they had names for all of them. Sometimes they would even use a short little flute and play this little tune over and over again that the sheep knew and that they would follow. And the true shepherd is going to lead out the true sheep. Jesus will lead Jews out of legalistic false Judaism and into true saving faith in their Messiah. Verse 4 says that Christ the shepherd will lead out his true sheep. It says he goes before them. Now, Western shepherds tend to shepherd by driving sheep, and we get sheep dogs, right, to drive the sheep. But Near Eastern shepherds, and even they do the same thing today, they lead their flock. They don't drive them. They lead them by beckoning, by wooing them with their voice. The sheep are helpless. They need guidance, but they are able to learn and discern the voice of their shepherd. Now, when Jesus finished the first part of this scene, of this setting, we see in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Again, this isn't strictly a parable, but it is similar to a parable in that there's a mystery involved, and here's the, here's the interesting thing about the mystery. Only people who know the person telling the story understand what the story is about. To the sheep, this makes sense. But to the thieves and robbers, it says they didn't understand what he was saying to them. It's a mystery. In fact, we'll see later, it's one that angers them. And so Jesus continues this picture. And now we come to a fifth character. But like the thief and robber is also a stranger, the shepherd is also, fifth character, the door of the, shep- of the sheepfold. The shepherd is also the door. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now Jesus is being even more explicit. He's being open. He's openly saying that he alone is the entryway to salvation. The voice of Jesus is the only way. In verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture to the elect to those chosen by God, he presents himself as an open door. He is an invitation. It's not just that there is an invitation. He is the invitation. He is the open door. Now, you may have noticed that the picture changes a little bit. In verse 3, the shepherd leads the sheep out, leading them out of the apostasy of legalism, out of their lost condition. But now they go in and out of the sheepfold. This tells us something. This tells us that there will be a day in which the only sheep in the sheepfold are saved and there will no longer be danger from thieves, robbers, and strangers. Someday it will be safe to go in and out. Verse 9 is very covenantal type language. It's covenant language to the faithful Jew who believed on Messiah. Reminds us very much of Deuteronomy 28, verse 6. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Psalm 121, verse 8, has very similar language. And what do they do when they go out? They come in, they go out. He says, you'll find pasture. Now, in verse 10, Jesus says plainly what the pasture is. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This idea of having life in a pasture, this is a very familiar Old Testament picture to us. God's true people are very often in the Old Testament called the sheep of his what? His pasture. He owns it. They're safe. 
God's pasture, in fact, is the picture used by Isaiah in Isaiah 49 to speak of the final restoration of Israel, a time when they'll never again be scattered. So coming in and out and finding pasture, this is safety and provision and love and graciousness and help. How do you find the spiritual safety? How do they find the pasture? How are the true sheep forgiven of their sins and how do they gain entrance into God's kingdom? Well, in one of the great direct statements of the Reformation principle of solus Christus in Christ alone, the second sentence in verse 9 makes it very clear. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, in Greek, the phrase by me is in what's called the emphatic position. It means it goes first, and it says this is the most important thing. So if we were going to give a, a strictly literal wooden translation, we would say by me. If anyone enters, he will be saved. Jesus was just as direct in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians three eleven, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul also said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And that's a lot of words to say what Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. There is no other door. Anybody trying to gain salvation by any other means is trying to climb over a wall and they're going to be destroyed. But there's one more character I want to come back to. I want to come back to the sheep. We, we looked at the sheep in general. I want to look at the final character. We'll call them the true sheep. The true sheep. True sheep, hear the voice of the shepherd. When the shepherd called you to salvation, you heard. You heard the voice of Christ. And this is really the main point of the first five verses, that true sheep listen to the voice of the true shepherd. Romans 8.28 says, You were called according to the purposes of God. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, You were called into the fellowship of God's Son. Galatians 1.15 says, You were called by His grace. The shepherd called you at some point. And I don't know that we can actually pinpoint this. Some, some Christian groups are really, really big on making you pinpoint the moment you got saved. I find that rather funny because I don't think you actually know. But at some point, the voice of Christ through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit called your name. And you responded in faith to the voice of a shepherd who was immediately familiar to you. Many of you have shared with me your testimony, and it's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to hear testimonies. And I've heard this once, if I've heard it a thousand times, it is, there was just a moment when I knew Jesus was the only way. Why is that? Because the voice of the shepherd called your name and you recognized him. As a matter of fact, true sheep won't listen to a false shepherd. Verse 5 a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. A true sheep will never follow a false way of salvation. They will always follow the true shepherd. And they understand this. They're familiar with this. Every person listening to this speech by Jesus has been a part of raising sheep, raising little lambs. And a little lamb immediately begins to learn and become familiar with the human voice of its owner. 
They know the unique tone and the inflections that they can distinguish it from the voice of any other person. In fact, there's a, a, a famous book by a Christian sheep rancher, and he tells the story of the fact that he often has visitors. And so he uses this phenomenon to share the gospel with visitors and to explain to them John chapter 10, verse 3. And what he'll do is he'll, he'll get them up to a fence and get them near his flocks. And he'll say, okay, this is that one's name. That's Daisy and that's Annabelle and that's so-and-so. And here's how you call them. Here's exactly what you say. He gives them the exact words, the exact phrases. And so he says, call the sheep, get them over here. And so they'll, they'll call, but the sheep will just ignore them or maybe once in a while look up and give one little uh, and then go back and that's it. And then the owner uses the same phrase, and they all come running. Why is this? Because the sheep have learned to associate the owner's voice with special benefits. That when the owner calls, it's for the purpose of keeping the best sheep's best interests at heart, to announce his presence, to take away fear and anxiety, to be examined for injury or sickness, to announce that fresh food or water is being supplied, to get them to shelter from an approaching storm. That when the shepherd calls, we're safe. That's what they associate it with. By the way, this is exactly what had just happened with the man born blind whom Jesus healed. He had faith in Christ as the true shepherd because he is a true sheep. And when he was called before the false shepherds of Israel, we saw this in John 9, the thieves, the robbers, the strangers, when they tried to lead him away, when they tried to dissuade him of Christ, when they tried to lure him away from his Lord, he publicly mocked their ignorance of the true shepherd. Chapter 9, verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This is obvious to him. And they booted him out of the legalistic Judaism system. And guess who came and called him? His true shepherd, Jesus did. Why? Because, verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And what do the true sheep get? Verse 10, not just eternal life, but abundant life. Not just barely enough, but more than plenty. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he gave us just enough of. No, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Listen, you're not going to just scarcely make it to heaven. You're not going to crawl in on your hands and knees and, and fall across the finish line. Why? Because your promised eternal life wasn't a close call. You've been given all that you need to stand for all eternity, perfectly holy and righteous and justified and freed from sin before God. If salvation is a cup of wine, then as David said in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. You're not going to ride some little go-kart to heaven. You're going to ride the horses and chariots of fire because your salvation has been secured above and beyond what is needed. The book Jesus Calling claims to bring you closer to Jesus, but what do the actual words of Jesus tell you? What have we learned today? The actual words of Jesus are so alive. They're so filled with hope and instruction and truth. 
John chapter 10, these first 10 verses, they've connected us with Jesus himself, not with impressions that somebody had sitting under a tree with a notebook and a pen. I want to show you 10 actual truths that Jesus has given to us to encourage and to instruct our hearts. These are actual truths from Scripture. The first one is beware of false shepherds. Beware of false shepherds. The the thieves and the robbers of verse 1 were warned about them in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15, staying with the shepherding theme, that false prophets will come in sheep's clothing, but they're actually ravenous wolves. And he tells us how to recognize them by the fruit that they bear, which will be spiritually diseased and, and rotten fruit. They'll cause harm instead of feeding the flock. And listen, there is never a place in Scripture that tells you to be the best friends of the false teachers, to include everybody in, to say, let's just all gather under the banner of Christ. no. The Apostle John said, don't even eat with them. Don't even acknowledge them. When you walk by them in the mall, don't, that's my translation. When you walk by them in the mall, don't even greet them. They're not just neutral, they're enemies of God. And they don't just have a, they don't just have an, a, a lack of empathy toward what you believe. They have an antipathy. They have an, an absolute hatred for what you believe. They have a hatred for your God. And the Bible says, beware of them. There's a second truth we get from the actual voice of Christ. Genuine sheep obey their shepherds. True believers obey their shepherd. Verse 2 says that the sheep hear his voice. And even in this same chapter, to hear means to obey and to follow continually in conformity to his will. Verse 8, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Why? Because they're obeying the true shepherd. Verse 16, we see this also. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And most directly, we have it in verse 27. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen, To follow Christ is not so much a decision or a commitment made one time on your calendar. It is a change of masters, that you now have a new Lord. Here's a third truth from the actual voice of Christ. Jesus calls individuals to salvation, not groups. Jesus calls individuals to salvation, not groups. In verse 3, But he who enters by the door of the sheep is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Every individual one. In the case of calling the Jews to salvation, they will ultimately form the new nation of Israel. But make no mistake, he called them individually as individual Jews. What does this mean? It means nobody will be saved because of the family you're in. Nobody will be saved because of the church you attend. Nobody will be saved because you associate with people who are saved. He spoke, Christian, your name and your name alone. Here's a fourth truth from the voice of Christ himself. True believers were the sheep of Christ before he called them. True believers were the sheep of Christ before he called them. Now, verse 3 doesn't say that the shepherd went into the sheepfold, preached the message, and tried to convince some of the sheep to follow him. 
he went in to call those who were already his. They already belonged to him. The sheep had already been chosen. We call that the doctrine of election. John 17, verse 6, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, past tense, and you gave them to me, present tense, and they have kept your word. In other words, God the Father chose and elected all the sheep in the sheepfold, the ones that would be uh, following the shepherd, and then the shepherd went in, and they spoke to them, and they merely followed him out. Here's a fifth actual truth. Every one of his elect sheep will hear Christ's voice. Every one of his elect sheep will hear Christ's voice. There's very often this myth by those who don't believe the doctrine of election, which is all over Scripture, by the way. It's got to be the single easiest doctrine to prove. But those who don't believe the doctrine of election, they'll, they'll, they'll paint this picture of a person who desperately wants to know Christ, who desperately wants to go to heaven, but isn't elect and has to go to hell, even though they want to go to heaven. That person doesn't exist. Why? Because every elect person will hear the voice of Christ. John 17, 1 and 2, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. Listen to this. To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. If God has elected a million people, one million precisely will be saved. You, the elect, you are identified as such before being given to Christ in salvation. Here's a sixth actual truth from Christ. Our shepherd clears a safe path into eternity. Our shepherd clears a safe path into eternity. I wish Sarah Young would stop talking so much about having a safe path today because I don't care so much about the safe path today. I need a safe path on my last day. Verse 4, he goes before the sheep. A shepherd would go ahead of his flock. He would go before them. One of the reasons that a Near Eastern shepherd leads his flock is so that as he goes over a hill, if there's danger, if there's a ravine, if there are are dangerous rocks or if there are dangerous animals or predators, he can go before and clear the way and make it safe. Christ went before us, leading the way through the most treacherous territory of all, and that is through our own deaths. We have something we can point to continually to prove that the way is safe, and that is the empty tomb of Christ, where our shepherd says, it's okay, you can enter the tomb because I'll bring you out, I promise. He goes before us. Here's a seventh actual truth. Verses 1 through 5 helps you have assurance of salvation. Verses 1 through 5 help you have assurance of salvation. Now, when we read this, you weren't particularly surprised or shocked to find out that the shepherd is Christ and the sheep are his people. That, that wasn't shocking to you. That wasn't like, wow, that seminary training really surprised me here. That was pretty obvious to you. Unlike the false religious leaders of Israel who were totally confused by this obvious picture, do you understand that the fact that that wasn't confusing to you should be very encouraging? Why? Because the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. It makes sense. Here's an eighth actual truth. True believers can never be deceived out of their salvation. 
True believers can never be deceived out of their salvation. Verse 5, they did not know the voice of strangers. Verse 8, the sheep did not listen to the thieves and the robbers. Now, I will admit this, true sheep might stray, they might bite, they might kick, they might be difficult, but true sheep will never ultimately follow another shepherd. The true sheep might get mad at one another, true sheep might even quit speaking to each other, but the true sheep will keep going after the shepherd. And eventually the shepherd will knock their heads together and say, you're both in the same boat. In Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus explained that in the last days, many false Christs, false prophets will arise and they will be so slick that they would try, he says, if possible to deceive even the elect, which means it's not possible to deceive the elect. If someone rejects the true Christian faith, they were never in the faith in the first place. So take comfort that you don't have to hang on for dear life all the way to the end. We hang on in terms of belief, but God will give you the power to continually believe. You will never stop hearing the voice of your shepherd. Here's the ninth actual truth. The abundant life is promised to the true sheep. The abundant life is promised to the true sheep. What is the abundant life? Full provision on this earth until your time is done. The Holy Spirit the word of God, confidence and assurance of salvation, the church of Jesus Christ, prayers, our glorious hymns of the faith, our songs of the faith, a mission and purpose on earth, no fear in death, daily blessings, growing in Christ's likeness, the knowledge that you will become like Christ at the end of your life, the promise of seeing Jesus face to face, the spiritual protection of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, preachers who proclaim God's truth, the gospel by which you believe God's truth, four accounts of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, faithful theologians who have for the past 2,000 years helped us understand the Bible. God has given you husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children, grandchildren, the certain promise of reward in heaven, a coming new heavens and new earth, a new Jerusalem, a reserved place in the Father's house in heaven right now, a future meeting with all the saints of all the ages. That's abundance. You understand how wealthy you are? He came to give you life, but not so you can crawl across the finish line. You will go across the finish line like a victor. There's one more truth, the 10th actual truth from Christ. The shepherd became like a sinful sheep to save you. The shepherd became like a sinful sheep to save you. He was presented to God as the sacrificial lamb of God, a sheep to be sacrificed for the sheep. What does this mean to hear the voice of Christ? Well, it's obvious. It is like sheep do. During the Palestinian uprising in the late 1980s, the Israeli army decided to make an example of a little village right near Bethlehem, a little tiny village, because that village hadn't paid its taxes. They were rebelling. And so the way the Israeli army made an example was they rounded up all the village animals, every one of them, and they put them in this huge barbed wire enclosure or a sheep pen. A few days later, the, op- the officer in charge was approached by a woman begging for mercy. She said, I- I- I'm, a- I'm a widow. I have 25 sheep, and they're my whole living. They're-, they're everything I have. And so the officer was a little bit maybe uh, 
little bit sarcastic, and he pointed to the pen, and he said, there are thousands of animals in there. I'll tell you what, if you can find your 25, you can have them. So the woman pointed to her son. He pulled out a little flute, started playing a tune. And all of a sudden, one by one, boop, 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 these little sheep started popping up and making their way to the front gate. And the little boy led precisely 25 sheep home because they knew the sound. They knew their master. Listen, you heard the voice of your true shepherd when he called you to salvation, and you will hear his voice one more time when he calls you home. You will answer, and he will lead you all the way home perfectly, and you can rest in this. That's the actual voice of Christ. Our Father, we thank you so much for this glimpse so clear, so personal into our Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if he's been standing right here with us, giving us these simple pictures which are so filled with profound, eternal truths. And we praise you and we thank you, Lord. I praise you for every person here who has heard the voice of the shepherd, who has responded to the call of salvation. But Lord, there may be some here or some listening online who have just hung around sheep a lot, who have seen Sunday school pictures of the shepherd, who have owned a Bible that talks a lot about the shepherd, but they have never heard his voice. I pray right now, Father, that the voice of the Spirit of God, the voice of the Spirit of Jesus would speak to their hearts and that they, even in this moment, would hear the still small voice of the shepherd, Jesus Christ, calling them home, calling them to faith, telling them that the cross on which he died was the instrument by which he paid for their sins and that price can be fully paid if they would but ask, if they would just ask for mercy and just simply say, I want to be a sheep. I want to receive the payment made by the Lamb of God on my behalf. Might you save those, might you call them even this day. We praise you and thank you for Jesus Christ, the door the shepherd, in whose name we pray. Amen.